the perception part, the stuff that we're training, vision being one of the biggest inputs that we have into our, our sense, our sensory input, right? I mean, 70, 80% of our performance comes from what we're understanding through our eyes. Mm -hmm. So that's such a huge input. So important that that's why we focus a lot of attention around that and tie other aspects of reaction and, and understanding and, and perception into it, because that's where we start. That's for a lot of people. Um, there was some research out of UCSD that was looking at elite warriors, for example, and they were seeing that elite warriors tended to have like a almost a sixth sense. They were saying they had a, a pre-understanding of a threat that was about to come to them. And so they were seeing it before they even knew to react to it. Right. So their brain was starting to function and fire up and get into a state of, of awareness and alertness so when the threat actually hit they weren't going into a fight or flight reaction they were already kind of past that zone and leveling back into now it's time to react and work at it as it was hitting so they were picking up cues and that's the key about perception and and what we're trying to do is help people pick up the details and the cues better especially in peripheral vision area and get the brain reacting to things earlier so then you don't have as much of a negative consequence on the back end. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports, and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back, everyone, to the HNL Movement Podcast. Again, this year is flying by. It's coming to a close. And as we head into Christmas this week, I would like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. This week, I have a very exciting guest. His name is Pete Nazchek, and he is one of the co-founders of Synaptic. If you haven't heard of Synaptic, you might have seen one of their sensory training products in the space of performance training. They're the ones that have the strobe glasses, which we'll talk about in depth in this episode. They have their sensory station, which is a big touchscreen monitor that you can train your visual processing skills, your hand-eye coordination. And they've really brought innovation to this field of vision and sensory training and made it a way that it's accessible and affordable to all of these different athletes. Pete has extensive amounts of experience in this performance training industry. And we dive into all of the things Synaptic has to offer, some of the growth through the years, and what kinds of things they're going to look forward to coming out in the future. This is definitely one of those must-hear episodes with so much information as we talk about the importance of sensory training and vision training. I'm so excited to get into this episode. Listen in and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. I have a very special guest, Pete Nazchak from Synaptic, who will dive into all of the things that they're doing with visual sensory motor training and all of the research that they put out. But thank you so much for joining me today, Pete. Love being here. Thank you for having me, Andrew. And full disclosure, this is the first time I've met Pete. So it's very <laughs> nice to meet you. Uh, how my relationship with Synaptic has started is every year we have our National Athletic Trainers Association convention, and that's once a year every summer. And unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for you guys, we have visited your booth and come to know Herb and Ryan, some of your colleagues very well. And you always have a challenge for that week of NATA, and you're giving away strobes. So how I came about to learn about your products and company is that every year we we're so competitive. We go visit your station and we're bothering Herb and Ryan and they're seeing all of these Hawaii guys come, come up and do this challenge. And actually we won two strobes from you guys and we use it in the clinic pretty much daily. But that's the, that's the story of how I got to learn more about Synaptic and you guys are doing a great job. Before we get, dive into all of the things that you are working on, let's start a little bit about your background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you've developed this through the years and what made you become one of the CEOs at Synaptic? So I'm actually just yeah, one of the co-founders of the company. And uh, I mean, vision science has been around for a long time. Uh, vision performance science, really, if you want to put it that way. So it's it's been there. It's been something that has been investigated for decades. And it used to take a whole room full of equipment 
to try and do some of the things that our equipment does right now to assess people, to train them, to get them better. And, and like, for example, strobe concepts were in big rooms, big black rooms with white lights flashing to get people to do things like, like, like even Jordan, right? Like that's, uh, and we saw that in some of the specials there and how he started incorporating that for different reasons, but then it also became a performance tool. So this science has been around. It's been, it's been analog and we really wanted to just take it and digitize it and make it more accessible to everyone, right? You don't have to be elite performer. You don't have to be top military. You want to have this stuff available to anyone who needs it. So that's really kind of the evolution of why we went into it or the, the idea around it is we all should be training vision in some way. It's beneficial from children all the way up to the elderly. There's value in it. Elite performers to everyday people. I got wrapped into it through just, I came out of the service. I was in the SEAL teams for 21 years. I started working in the performance space with, with big companies and different groups like Red Bull and Nike. And, and then I, I, I got tied into the idea of vision training and vision uh, performance. And then I got pulled into the company and, 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 we, and we spun this out and co-founded this, this idea of Synaptic of trying to take these tools that had been getting developed and making them better and more accessible. Yes. And what's interesting about your team, uh, all of the co-founders, is that you all have unique backgrounds that kind of blend together in just the perfect perfect cohesiveness to create this company and this product. And I know Herb as well, he said that he has worked for Nike as well with when they were starting some of the strobe technology. So with all of your blend of expertise, how has that kind of evolved through the years? And was that the right thing that needed to happen in order for Synaptic to start? It definitely is a blend of our of our backgrounds. Like, uh, I mean, obviously, Herb has a performance engineering background. We have an MIT grad as our CEO who has a, a big engineering background there, but also a Stanford business graduate. And then we have a professor that focuses on 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 concussion and issues with with brains and and what's happening there. And then I really come in with the performance background of just doing things in the field. I'm a field operator. I have some good education. I have some good experiences that help understand how we can employ things and why they're important in different spaces. So that blend and the team is just a really good functional co-founding team that brings a lot of different expertise that, that makes, that makes sense with this space. Let's backtrack a little bit too. So before, before all of this technology advancements and how you kind of mentioned that it was more analog, how people would do vision training, how has that what problem was there before besides, you know, having it available to all walks of life, right? But what were some of the big obstacles in the beginning that helped you to develop Synaptic and what we know as today? That's, that's, a, that's actually a really good question. That's probably one that's not really asked of us that often, to be honest. And the big obstacles, I think, were really that one, a lot of people just don't really think about training vision specifically. There's very narrow areas that were even being looked at, at considering it. We did fitness. We believe that helps us in our environments, right? Uh, well, whatever they may be. And we do skill. We go out and play the game or we go out and train in the military, for example. So that was our focus. But the reality is, like, as we started seeing different groups doing testing, for example, with me in the military, I was being tested at one point on hand-eye coordination, right? And, and they were trying to measure, are the people with better hand-eye coordination the ones who were the better operators or shooters? So that's an interesting kind of correlation that starts happening there, right? And that actually took a big analog tool with buttons on it <laughs> that ended up having an individual who had to take hours or days to assess all the data that he'd pull outside of that machine and recording things by hand on pieces of paper to then give us some type of answer. And so what, what our goal was trying to get to was, can we make a machine that could do the same thing and give you the answer in 30 seconds, right? So that's the idea of why you would want to digitize it and where we wanted to take it. But yeah, there was a lot of problems because one, you had to have a master's degree or a doctor's a doctorate degree to provide the testing. And that would take a lot of time if it was even available anywhere near you uh, with that type of expertise. So to put this into perspective a little bit, actually, how, when was Synaptic founded? 
it was founded in 2013. 2013. So we're not talking that far ago before, you know, like all of these analog tests were being executed. That was probably even within the last decade, you guys have really come in and revolutionized the industry. You know, we'll talk about it in a second, the, the sensory station that you have. That's exactly what it is. You have so much data that you're collecting and it's available immediately. As soon as you're done with the assessment or the test, you see your results right there. And it's so convenient to actually see some of the improvements and track what's going on with your visual sensory you know, training. Yeah. On that note, so when you started Synaptic, what were some of the big things that you tackled first? I'm familiar with you guys, maybe about four or five years now, so you were pretty established by then. But what were some of the big things that you tackled first to actually make the products that we see today? So the, the big ones we tackled first was really um, trying to take the sensory station and get it more functional for what we wanted to present to the world, right? And and the strobes, like those were the two big pieces. Those are our core products. We're constantly developing and making them better and expanding what they can do and how they operate and function and also trying to always improve the price point, right? That's because again, the key is to try to get it to as many people as possible. So those two products work hand in hand or they work on their own separately. So the sensory station can do an assessment, which assesses 10 areas of vision. And then those are kind of performance, key performance areas that we would say in, in most of uh, in, in most environments. And then we can actually look at where you sit compared to a peer group average. If you're a, let's say an NFL quarterback, you're comparing against those and you see if you're above or below average. And then it gives you a protocol on the side that says train these areas of opportunity because that's where you're kind of below average and that's all you got to focus on. And that'll probably help in other areas of your vision performance as well. So that assessment is really good to have and get a, a starting point and an understanding. And then from there, you can start training on the system as well. And then we also have a take-home app that clinics can provide to their, to their uh, clients, which then can work some of the training from their, their own home tablets. And then, we also have the strobe, which is that key item, which is really resistance tool for vision. Really, it's like a dumbbell for your eyes. Let's put it that way, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> and not your eyeballs, but how you're how you're processing the information. Yes, and I actually have one of the strobes here, so that people can see what we're actually talking about. So, the strobe that we actually have in the clinic, it's kind of hard to see, but you can see that it's blinking. Um, and these are things that you wear for motor tasks, hand-eye coordination tasks. And it's something that we find tremendous value in, as, as you really know. Let's, to give some of the listeners more ideas as to what we're actually talking about with the vision sensory motor training, why don't you elaborate just real briefly on the 10 areas of vision and sensory training that you're assessing in that scan? Well, let's just try to get into maybe instead of each one and explaining them, but but let's just kind of focus on blocks, let's say. So there's a couple that we look at, which are vision clarity, which is like your normal eye test, like your eye, your eye chart test, just to see where you're sitting. And then there's contrast sensitivity. And those two are kind of related um, in a sense. So if we see something going on there, we're going to say, go see a vision expert, especially a performance vision expert, and see see if you can get things corrected to the right place, right? Because that's going to help your vision right off the bat. If the hardware is working well, you know, the better camera lens, you know, you're going to get better information and, and, and clearer information. Yes. So after that, we start getting into a couple different areas, I'd say. There's some that start dealing with perception span, which starts going around how you're perceiving, how you're, how you're able to move your eyes from close to far and focus and recognize targets, how you're able to recognize moving targets, so dynamic vision, multiple object tracking concepts of how, how can you see and track multiple objects that say like your players in a pool of other players, right? And, and you understand where they're at and being able to see them at all times instead of having to be focused on just one single point. And um, then we start getting into the hand-eye coordination and decision-making tasks. So, so those, those are kind of the big areas that happen within the testing because those are important no matter where we are in society and what we're doing. I like how you break it down right there. And Tim, you can elaborate on this a little bit more, but basically our visual input and how we process this sensory information, not only for sport, like you said, but just in life, 
that can help us move better. That can help us to prevent injuries, of course. I like how much research you have about how this data really gives you some insight as to how you're processing information and how you're able to respond to that information. Because you can see all of the research studies that you guys have put out or have been a part of, you see that it's, you're finding all of these relationships with visual sensory information and how you process that and head injuries, concussions. You're even doing research with that was new to me. I had to look this up, but research with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, um, dement, uh, depression, right? You're finding all of these associations with how our brain is able to process this information. And in my field, in my realm, in rehab, that's very important because anytime you sustain an injury or even more significantly, if you go through surgery, your brain's ability to process information is drastically changed. And we know this now in 2020 that you rely heavily on visual input, which actually alters your efficiency to carry out movement or carry out your sport task or whatever it is. So I like how you break that down. But if you want to elaborate a little bit more on the importance of that information processing and how that relates with our vision. Yeah. See, and I think that's the key is uh, trying to get people to understand what our company is about, right? I think in the, in the cognitive performance space, we see a lot around psychology and how we're feeling and how we're reacting to things, positive and negative, right? Especially the negative space. Like how do you deal with pressure? How do you deal with, um, with a big loss or a big issue, right? How do you recover from it? So that's, that's, a, that's a very important area. That's, that's key. We, we can see big results really quickly with that if we can kind of control our mindset and how we're approaching things, you know, and, and there's lots of tools and concepts that we built in there. A lot of times in the cognitive performance space, we hear a little bit about this, but not a ton about nutrition and how important it is to have the right nutrition for brain function, right? And then the other area which we don't tend to hear a lot of is this idea of, of processing and which kind of sits underneath the emotional space because really senses help us perceive the world. Like that's, that's the reality. The first thing we get are our sensory inputs. And then, and then from there, our senses are playing a big role in our, our emotional perceptions and, and our learning and, and even the way we're just interpreting those inputs that we're getting, right? And from there, like, you know, again, this is, could be debatable and argued, but processing is probably happening before a lot of the emotion really hits and before a lot of that psychology needs to be activated, right? Mm-hmm. So for, you know, to, to give a real clear example for a lot of people is we feel our heart start pounding. Our system gets the heart pounding first. We're getting the senses. Something's giving us some kind of input that gets our heart going. And then we start attaching like, is this fear? Mm-hmm. Is this anxiety? Is this concern? Is this happiness, right? And that's where our mind starts wrapping around and perceiving it all and putting it into a package which says, this is now the behavior we need to react with, right? So the perception part, the stuff that we're training, vision being one of the biggest inputs that we have into our, our, sense, our sensory input, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, 70, 80% of our performance comes from what we're understanding through our eyes. Mm-hmm. So that's such a huge input, so important that that's why we focus a lot of attention around that and tie other aspects of reaction and, and understanding and, and perception into it because that's where we start. That's for a lot of people. Um, there was some research out of UCSD that was looking at elite warriors, for example, and they were seeing that elite warriors tended to have like a almost a sixth sense. They were saying they had a, a pre-understanding of a threat that was about to come to them, and so they were seeing it before they even knew to react to it. Right, so their brain was starting to function and fire up and get into a state of of awareness. Mm-hmm. and alertness so when the threat actually hit they weren't going into a fight or flight reaction they were already kind of past that zone and leveling back into now it's time to react and work at it as it was hitting mm-hmm. so they were picking up cues and that's the key about perception and and what we're trying to do is help people pick up the details and the cues better especially in peripheral vision area and get the brain reacting to things earlier So then you don't have as much of a negative consequence on the back end. That is very interesting how you explain that. And I I never thought about it like that. But oftentimes our senses come before. It's the precursor to what we cognitively can sense or feel or, you know, what kinds of emotions we're under pressure, stress, all of those things. So that's extremely interesting. Now, on that note, so with some of the visual training, 
We'll talk about the sensory station a little bit because for me, I mean, we don't have one personally in the clinic, but uh-huh. that tool is is remarkable. So it's pretty much to describe it and you can fill in whatever I'm missing, but to describe it, it's kind of a big TV. I would say, what is it? Like 50 inch or something? 55 inch, yep. 55 inch. So it's, it's somewhere where like, you have all these different games, I guess, or assessments. And for me, you know, I'm not the biggest guy, but I have to, it's using like pretty much my whole wing, wingspan to reach to the opposite corners and stuff. And of course, it's a touch screen that you're touching and doing all of these different things based off of the, the visual uh, challenge that you're trying to train, right? On this sensory station, kind of explain a little bit of how you've come to develop the software and how it has evolved over the years since you first created that sensory station. So the sensory station was obviously created out of a lot of analog tools that were sitting in a room. So it was a, it was a small room with big hard button systems, let's say like, so instead of a touch screen, there was a big board with actual, yes. you know, 3d buttons on you had to press in. Right. Yes. And, uh, and so those, those analog systems were obviously big and it took some kind of expert to run them. So the idea, like the evolution of that was how do we make this smaller and easier and combine them all? And then digitizing was was the way to do that. So the sensory station was created trying to bring all those concepts from that room into that one space, make it easy to use. And it's been evolving. It's all based on on actual research that's been done in the more analog space and then some of it in the digital space and using those concepts, those tools that had been proven by research to then use as assessments. Those assessments come with already proven concepts and theories that then were just injected into our system. And we continue to evolve it. And where, where the evolution really comes from now is not, not so much in the assessment area, but in the training area. So we have 14 modules. We're just releasing a new one, a 15th one. We have more in the wings and the works that are be coming and being released as we go. And so when someone has the station in their area, like they just keep getting these updates and these modules to just keep providing them newer and better tools, like multiple object tracking, for example, they'll get new tools and different ways of training multiple object tracking that will translate hopefully into their actual functional space. Yes. And I like how you explain that too, how you're always upgrade, upgrading the or updating the system and you have all of these different tools for them to train. For me personally, I think the one from a user standpoint, the one thing about the games is that you've made it very effective, but it's also very user friendly, meaning that it's very fun and it does get addicting to a certain point, especially when you start to see the improvement. Now on that note, I want to touch up on a little bit with those facilities that you do have the sensory station in, what types of improvements do you see on average? What are some of the, the big success stories, I guess, that the assessment really caught what area this athlete needs to train? And I'm sure after a few months of training, it really translated into their performance on the field or court. So can you explain a little bit about the average progress or what you have seen in other facilities? And yeah, that's, and that's a good question because it's, it's different for different people, right? Every individual that's like, you know, it's hard to even say with fitness, what's the average, you know, how does that work for everybody? Because it depends on what they're trying to accomplish and and what's going on. I mean, there's, there's a lot of anecdotal stories that we have and we get inputs all the time on how people are feeling helped by the strobes, you know, which is a big one, a really easy tool. We get tons of stories around those. Um, And we also see it with the station and, So we have some that are on the performance side and some that are on the rehabilitation side, right? So the performance side, we get athletes who, who have started to um, even down to like concentration and focus, like started to learn how to focus better because when they're in the right mindset and maintaining the right kind of focus and attention, Mm -hmm. they perform much better. So they start learning how to lock in that attention cycle and what matters by doing some of these, these tools, right? These modules. And, and they are kind of gamified for that reason. Cause we want you to have, you know, be engaged in it, want to be working with it, want to enjoy working with it over and over and, and feel the challenge with it and develop over time. Right. Just, just like anything, you don't want it to be really boring and mundane. And so, so that's why there's lots of options in the way it works. And, and it is, it does get competitive. There's, there's athletes, uh, let's say, like say in, in UFC or, or boxers who have used it and, 
and really been able to increase their their perception and what's happening and reaction time and then also speed on just understanding what needs to happen in front of them there's um we've been seeing in some different areas actual reaction time increasing after using these tools for several weeks and blending them in so reaction time would blend into the military space for example and some groups have done their own kind of testing and seen the ability, like, like a 10% increase on their traditional reaction time tests. So, you know, again, that's like that, that plays into sport on how quickly you perceive something and then can now do something about it. So small tie-ins around that then translate back into the field is, is what we're seeing. And you definitely have done that with the sensory station. Cause like how you, to elaborate a little bit more, how you said the old, Actually, at the University of Hawaii, we have one of those old light boards that you have to actually touch. And you look at that and you think like, okay, we do this for maybe about a month and then we'll probably be bored out of our mind. (laughs) And for you, you have the digital, like your hand-eye coordination or your reaction test or even the depth perception, the object tracking. It's literally, it's so different every time because it's like a like a game you said. And because of that, you get to try to really, it's not always the same patterns that you're looking at. You have to really react. Um, You can change the, correct me if I'm wrong, you can change the objects, you can change the color scheme, you can change the contrast. You know, you have all of these different dimensions that really make the game fun, but also it makes you want to compete. And like you said, focus on what the task at hand is. So it has become a tool that I mean, the first time that I got on it, I was thinking this has so much possibilities to actually elevate that piece of training that is missing. Yes. Yep. No, totally. It's a, and I mean, even like the backgrounds say on, on a lot of the modules, you can do movies behind them. So you can yep. put your own movie in, you can put your own targets in, let's say for hand-eye coordination with one team out of fun. There was, there was a player that tended to get really animated. Right. And so, so I actually made the targets a happy version of them and an angry version of them. And the angry was the go, no, you don't want to hit that one. And, you know, you have to react and and decide which, which face is the right face to hit. And that was mixed into a big field of play. Right. So there was, so the other players are going out there laughing and just having fun trying to like not hit the, you know, the angry dude all the time and avoid that. (laughs) Every time they hit them, they, they get a penalty, right? Like their, their, their points go down. So it's fun to try to mix in because now you're starting to get into really recognition and decision-making and you can tie in the environment that they're in a little bit more and actual real concepts that might make sense to them. Mm-hmm. And it does bleed, it does blend in. And there is some research that came out from Duke. Again, all the research that's on our website is all third party. We don't drive it all. We don't develop it. We don't pay for it. And so that's, you know, it's all people who are interested in this science and who are trying to figure out, do these tools work and how do they work? And, and Duke um, had some research that showed that using the strobes, another tool of ours called the synchrony, which is like a, a light rail type device, which is timing and scatic eye movement. And also um, our app and, you know, the training app, just using those three tools increased um, two of the three main hitting factors that they look at for, for baseball hitters in D1 baseball. So, and that was a significant improvement. So, so we see that there's a direct translation from vision training into skill performance, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the key is that it's, it's vision training, doing some work with your vision will translate into some type of benefits inside of your environment because you're bettering the tool, right? Yeah. Which is your vision. you're bettering the processing and that then will play somehow into your environment. Yes, that is awesome to hear. And let's let's touch on that since you mentioned the strobes again. Let's touch on the strobes. So we talked about the sensory station for a, for a little bit, but let's talk about how the strobes have. I mean, this is so convenient. You can just it's uh, you charge it through the USB connector, and the charge actually holds for a while. It's super convenient. You just carry it around with you if you want to go to the field. If you're in the if you're in the clinic, in the weight room, and you can apply this to whatever movements or things that you want to train. But let's talk about what you have found and probably what you've learned a lot through all of the different facilities. What are some of the big benefits of using the strobe glasses and how have you seen it uh, become utilized and what's the effective outcomes of using the strobe glasses? That's great. So so there's a couple really cool things going on with the strobes right now. And, and like we said before, they're like a resistance 
tool for your vision system, right? Like a dumbbell. And that's because what they, all they do is they just shutter close. So we say strobe, but the reality is they're just shuttering close. It's not like a bright light flashing in your eyes. And so they shutter close for a fraction of a second and then they pop back open clear and they go closed and we can make those closed for longer, which makes it harder, right? The less information we get. And all your system is doing, your vision system, your brain is really hungry for information. It's, it's now trying to figure out what is missing in those slices of time. And it's trying to fill in the gaps is basically what's going on. If you want to put it in, in layman's terms, I'm not a neurologist, but this is, this is, this is really, it comes down. And so by f- trying to fill in the gaps, when you take the strobes off, that load is now missing that all of a sudden now your mind has much more information to work with mm-hmm. and it can then process it faster. So what a lot of people say is that once they've used the strobes and they're training with them, if they see more detail, they tend to see more detail. They say that they, things feel like they're moving slower and they feel like they're anticipating better, right? Those are kind of three big ones that, that we tend to hear. We also start hearing things about feeling more grounded, more stable, more, more like locked into whatever space they're in on balance and what's happening there. And then just being able to react faster across the board and pick things up better. So that's, that's key. So we know with the training side, we're getting really good value there. So that's kind of building all those performance issues. Now, what's been really interesting, too, is there's a lot of athletes and a lot of performers who have been using these as an activation tool. So to warm up with before they do their sport and they feel like if I wear these for a period of time, some some people just wearing them while they get stuff ready. Like so. So there's some big wave surfers who do a lot of other water sports, right, who are actually wearing them as they get their gear ready while they're just getting everything set up, walking around, doing everything, doing a little bit of a warm up, you know, stretching, moving. So maybe 10, 15 minutes of wearing them and then they take them off and they go out and hit the water and they feel like they're seeing detail in the water better. They feel more balanced and they just tend to surf and react better. Seeing the same thing with some high level skiers, seeing the same thing with different athletes like shooters, Olympic level shooters, right? And by wearing them, by getting the system working and activating and putting that little bit of load on the front end, just like you would like a warm up and stretch and do some movement, right? To prep your muscles and get that neuromuscular system working. It's setting them up for what they then get into in their environment. So that's a really cool one is this whole side of activation. And there is some research out of a university going on. That's, that's trying to look at that and see if there's a correlation in one specific context. And, but that idea and a lot of the stories and the inputs that we're getting are, are really interesting. That's interesting. I never, I never realized that. And that makes so much sense how you can use this kind of like an activation tool and a warm-up tool and just wear it when you're just going through your regular warm-up. That's something that I will probably try with even some of the things that we're seeing in the clinic. Um, we do tend to use it in the beginning of their sessions anyway, but to use it as an actual like part of their warm-up, maybe that will you know, provide even further benefit than what we're already seeing. Now on that note, I want to talk a little bit about because I'm very familiar with using this to improve your motor skills, like balance training, certain movement coordination, you know, even strength benefits. We wear them, do the task, take them off, like you said. And then after that, your brain is able to process all of the information at a much quicker rate we see. And you see the improvement, you feel more grounded. You might um, feel that you have more control in space. The task kind of slows down and all of that. But let's talk about some of the things you're seeing with other types of injuries or prevention techniques. So let's talk about with concussion, because I know there's some research articles out there about training with the strobes and tolerating head impact, right? Because you're whatever the case may be, but maybe you're able to see in your periphery a little bit better. Maybe you're able to just absorb the hit a little better, you know, whatever the, the factor is that's making it handle more head trauma or head impact, I should say. And the, also the other thing would be some of the mental space of things. So how does this training with the strobes or the sensory station help with certain mental states or like depression, anxiety, and those types of things? Are there any things that you have seen in the past few years about that? Um, so we'll start with the, with, the, with the concussion is that there's no proof that obviously the wearing the strobes is going to stop concussion. Mm-hmm. The, the idea was in the research is really around vision training in general. And, and it's, it's doing vision training in general and using tools like ours, obviously strobe training and, and the, and the sensory station are really key in this type of work, but those might help you again, perceive, mm-hmm. see the details faster, which then 
if you're about to receive a hit, you may see it and be able to adjust enough to where you won't have as uh, as critical of an impact, right? Mm-hmm. You'll be able to shift and move. And so that's where the research is coming in um, is really about how, when it comes to avoidance and reducing concussion is really about your vision system is able to pick up those cues and those details earlier, mm-hmm. faster. And so then you will react and adjust and hopefully have less concussion. So they were showing that people who did vision training were having less concussions than a control group. And, you know, so there's, there, there's obviously a lot of context, context issues like, you know, what was happening, what type of games, what's going on that can be blended into that. But, but the idea makes sense. The theory, the basics of it, if you have better vision, better vision reaction and performance, you're probably going to be able to avoid certain things better. Mm-hmm. Right. The other area that we see is that with our system, it's, it, it has been used for a lot of different type of rehabilitation areas. Mm-hmm. So it has been used with concussion and there's certain pro- protocols that are used that are on the big sensory station. It's, it's about one assessing a little bit and seeing where things are at, but, and so you can track progress and see where, where you're going. Mm-hmm. And then also on top of that is the idea of tying in the central and peripheral vision when vision is affected with a concussion. Mm-hmm. As a concussion can affect cognitive areas, it can affect vestibular areas like balance, you know, those types of areas, and it can affect vision areas as well. Like those are three kind of big, big spots that that you'll see going on. And if your vision is working right, it'll help with balance. It'll help you kind of anchor and use your vision to help you balance better. And also vision training as just an executive function type of tool Mm -hmm. is going to help cognition generally, right? They show that vision training helps cognitive development. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's even research out on children that is showing that good hand-eye coordination and hand-eye coordination skills help with learning abilities, right? So they tend to be the better academics if you have good hand-eye coordination. They, um, it helps with social skills because now they're reading si- the situations better and they're picking things up and, and cognitive skills as far as like how they're learning, what they're doing, how they're processing information. So, so we know if you're doing vision training, you're doing it really well. That's why they have vision therapy for a lot of schools is that it's going to help your function in some way, right? Now, how much and how and exactly how, you know, that, that's where all the research is coming in and looking at all the time. Um, yes. You know, so we're seeing it with dementia as well. So there's like dementia patients. We're seeing work and research and stuff going on and some positive results with Parkinson's disease, um, with autism. So some of that helps with focus, with, um, with just working on the symptoms of things, you know, um, like with Parkinson's, for example, it's more a symptom issue and trying to make those better. So there's, there's just a whole realm. If there's, you know, again, if we can make a high functioning, non-injured brain vision system work a little bit better, mm-hmm. then we should be able to make someone's who is injured or not functioning at the right level for some reason work a little better as well. And so that's that's the key. And our ultimate goal is is really about we know we're doing performance well. What we really want to do is help injury and function and regular people be better. Yes, that that's a great message. And I like what you touched on there, because I'm a big believer that there might not be a direct relationship to everything, but everything's so interconnected and related to each other that when you improve one area in a positive way, yeah, it's gonna, like how you mentioned in a child, right? If they train vision training, and they might be able to perceive and pick up information better and it helps them in their social situation those are the benefits that we like to see because it's affecting more than just the the visual training task that they're training it's affecting and translating all into you know real lifestyle tasks or life tasks and i think you're seeing that with the athletes as well is that when they do this you're finding all of these other benefits that are a byproduct of just doing or incorporating one part of their training. So I think that's, that's tremendous that, you know, the research is starting to catch up to back that up and you're seeing it translate into the regular population. On that note, with using these glasses and things, what are some of the ways that you have seen it being used in these non-athletic population? So maybe, you know, for the population with Parkinson's disease, or maybe, um, in school settings or things like that, what have you seen being implemented so far? Yeah, that, I mean that's that's a good point. And and just to kind of a- emphasize a little bit more, like they, that idea of if you're doing vision training, it's helping other areas, right? Like it's doing more than just vision in in your cognitive space and maybe for your balance and everything else. But um, you know, I always like to explain it in a very simple way: is if you're doing a bench press, that's for your chest, right? Your chest muscles. But the reality is. 
you know, your back muscles, your shoulders, your, your, your biceps, triceps, your forearms, your grips, like your fingers, like there's a lot more being affected by that. That's gaining strength and capability. Right. And that's the idea with, with the vision training is, is really, if we can target this massive input, this massive piece of information that's going in and make that work better then a lot of other things are going to have probably correlated effects. Right. So that's, that's the key of what we're focused on and regular people. I mean, we're seeing them just using it to just, just enhance what they do. So you, you called out Parkinson's, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the biggest things for any, any condition that's going on is typically exercise. Like some type of exercise movement is a huge benefit. And we just see them blending it into what they're doing there. So wearing, if they're going on walks and they're good enough with movement, as far as it's not going to be a danger for them. And again, you know, their doctors and the people that they work with will, will tell them this, but they can put the strobes on and just walk with the strobes on. Mm-hmm. And that by doing that for 10, 15 minutes a day, uh, a couple people have let us know that that has helped them with their symptoms. It's lowered their symptoms and allowed them to do things with more freedom now. So that's a very simple, that's basic, right? And it's, it's not a massive effort to put on. It's just wear the strobe for 10, 15 minutes a day doing what they're normally doing. Mm-hmm. And as long as it's safe and they have the right ability to move and not having, again, they're having a limitation on their vision. So we got to make sure that, that there's that understanding and they're doing it in a safe way, but that adds to what they're, what they're able to do and starts improving what they can do on a daily basis. And the same thing with kids, just mixing them into what they're doing already, like playing, they're already playing. So you mix these in as part of part of the game and then they get some benefits on the back end. So it's not something that you always have to do is like, okay, we must now do an hour of vision training. It's no, if you're playing and working out and doing stuff, you can now mix it in with the strobes. It's very easy. You just toss them on. It's all about exposure, right? You're exposing your system to a limitation, your system's adapting. So it starts adapting to that, that limitation. And then you're inoculating your system to this, this environment and you're, and you're, you get used to that harsher environment. And then when you take them off now, everything feels easy. It's like, it's like putting a backpack on like a big, heavy backpack on, you know, and walking up and down a hill and then you drop it, you kind of feel light and like everything's kind of lifting. You're like, whoa, this seems easy now. It's that's what you're doing with the strobes. Very simple. That's that's great to hear. And we we experience a lot of the similar benefits that you're talking about is, you know, just challenge and tax the visual, uh, the visual information. And when you take it off, it's a lot easier. You can carry out that task usually better, more efficiently and all of that. So now let's talk about the athletic population bouncing back there. What are you seeing besides that activation and the warm up? What are you seeing being utilized with the strobes in the athletic population? What are some of the big benefits there? That's a good one. No, so there's there's the normal kind of hand-eye tracking, catching type of movement type stuff, kicking, foot-eye coordination as well, right? Or eye-foot coordination. And so so a lot of soccer, uh, you know, environments, a lot of football, baseball, hitting. So target understanding and, and recognition and then being able to react to it is, is a big one. Uh, in the sport world, we also start seeing a lot of stuff around balance. Um, so they're mixing it into their functional work. We also, so that's, that's anything that's like plyometrics, movement, balance work of any kind, uh, mixing it into some of the more complex moves and, and functional movements. And then we also start looking at and seeing uh, some trainers who are really getting after it and really pushing limits and, and, you know, letting us know what the results are, right? Because we, you know, like, where, where are you going with this? But they're, they're putting people on the strobes for like 45 minutes to an hour during full heavy workouts, which is really interesting. And their experience and what they're getting out of it is this whole idea of cognitive loading while you're under duress, right? So they're already physically being pushed and now they're putting the strobes on, which is forcing more attention, more focus, which is now creating a heavier load on, on the mind while they're in the middle of these, in these environments, right? So heavy plyometrics, heavy movements, you know, some elite athletes are doing this type of trampoline work. And again, these are trainers that are working really closely with their athletes and really, really paying attention to what's happening and what's going on. But that cognitive load piece is really interesting because what they're seeing or what we're hearing from them is that after these athletes have been doing it for a while and they feel much more fatigued after a workout than they would have normally, 
but after doing that for a while, and then they go back to doing that workout after a period of, of rest, right. And, and not wearing the strobes during the entire thing, they feel like it's much, much easier than it used to be. So there's this, like this kind of, um, point where they start combining these like load areas where it starts feeling easier. They're thinking of it easier because now they've gotten used to that kind of load environment. So, so some really good things, interesting stuff happening there, which could use a lot more <laughs> investigation, but, but the idea is that it's this cognitive load along with your normal skill development, skill development. We've seen it used. Uh, there was a research paper that came out with surgical students. Mm-hmm. So fine mo- motor skills. They were looking at sutures and knot tying and knot tying didn't have any significant change that's one of those things that they that surgeons i believe tend to want to do with their eyes closed anyways but the actual sutures they learned faster and got better in a a much more significant way faster than than the other ones on the control group on, on on the other students so the idea is like even in fine motor skills wearing them while they were doing that had a correlation to some better development right so it's, it's really interesting. If you look at the athlete, they can mix this into a lot of different areas, mm-hmm. passing and catching, right? Kicking, for example, you can use it as part of what you're doing. You're kicking quarterback, throwing, you know, it, recognizing patterns of people out there and understanding how to pick up details faster, forcing your system to do that. Uh, runners using it as part of their form development. So they're wearing them while they're doing their normal form movements where they're doing lots of balance and work. In yoga, we've seen that there's uh, one individual has been training with these. She's a researcher and looks at doing a lot of yoga work. And she's been using them and she feels like she gets the same mental benefits. So the energy, the kind of the feeling of, of what she benefits from yoga on attention and energy and, and, and kind of that, that feeling of being work, worked out afterwards. She feels she gets the same benefit from doing a half hour with strobes on as she would get normally doing an hour or more without strobes. So she's seeing this idea that wearing the strobes is actually giving you that benefit for that attention and energy that in a much faster way, you know, so she can do like, say, instead of a a 20 minute flow to kind of get her energy back during the day while she's doing heavy concentration work, she goes out and does eight minute with the strobes on and feels the same way. That's very, very interesting. And I will honestly say from my experiences, nothing can replicate the strobes or the adaptation that you get. Because again, you're throwing on that extra dimension of load cognitively. So when you have to do something physically and you're combining the two, I don't think there's anything that can replicate this. And it's such a, like I said, it's such a convenient tool because you can take it around anywhere if you're doing yoga or whatever the task is. Now on that note, I wanted to touch on a little bit because you brought up an interesting concept there with fine motor skills. So have the strobes been utilized by musicians or, you know, anyone that has that fine motor skills and has that actually accelerated their practice or their learning? Yep. Um, yeah. I think, I think we have a video actually of a musician that's okay. that's talking about what it did for him, like learning how to play guitar or working on guitar a little bit differently and more. And so, yeah, now we've have had musicians using them. Um, again, anything that's kind of involving your vision as a key aspect of what you're doing, it's it, it's going to provide some benefit, right? And especially if you're using that vision initially to maybe build, you know, a motor skill to begin with. So it should, I mean, theoretically, should have some benefit for you because again, you're forcing your system to work harder, adapt, and maybe use other senses, right? And that's that part of what's going on is by putting this load on and doing it in small slices, you're forcing your system to use other aspects of your senses to so your touch starts hopefully playing a bigger part in your processing of what's going on or, or, you know, your balance, your vision, your, your skin, you know, uh, mm-hmm. your hearing, you know, anything else starts kind of kicking in to help your brain figure out like what's happening during these blank periods. And so that's, that's, again, theoretically, that's the general idea about what's going on. And obviously the more research we get on figuring these things out from people, the better. Yes. Now on that note, I know you're extremely busy, so we'll wrap up in a little bit, but I want to talk about all of the things that you have done so far. Obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of traction gaining in the community. A lot of professionals are using this, everyone from, you know, rehabilitation specialists to performance training, to athletes, to your general public, to children even. So with everything that has been established over the past 
seven, eight years or so. What is the future direction of Synaptic? Where do you guys see this going? With whatever you're willing and able to share, what is the next phase of this vision, sensory motor training uh, for Synaptic and just for the industry? Yeah, so our our goal again is like to get to get it to as many people as possible. And for us, a big aspect of that is is the medical space because the rehabilitation space is 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 key. Right? There's a lot of people that can use our help. I mean, we have stroke, for example, which is a big one, which we've gotten a lot of a lot of good feedback on, and um, a lot of significant improvements in help in the stroke area. And so, something like that is is really important to us because to be able to support people that have a need beyond playing a sport, which is really important to us as well. But the idea is that there's a lot of people that, that could use something that's much easier to access, much easier to use. And so that's our goal. Like that's, that's the big future direction. If you want to put it in, in into a, a, you know, one big pot is medical space is, is key to us and the re- rehabilitation because that affects everyone, including elite sport and every sport. So that's, that's important. The other piece is looking at how we can continue to develop the ecosystem, make it even easier to use and more, more accessible. So it's, so it works in lots of different environments easier and increasing the ecosystem. So there's other aspects that can be used in training the senses. Um, So as we develop out, not only the sensory station to be more capable all the time, uh, we also look at developing tools that support the assessments that happen from the sensory station. So if it gives you a protocol, there'll be other tools that you can blend into your normal skill training or use in between your gym and your skill training as a tool. And so it's just, yeah, it's just opportunities. That's really what we're about is just trying to figure out what are the better opportunities to give people more options again, to, to train and learn differently. Yes. And on that note, I just wanted to touch on because we talked about the strobes a lot just to elaborate more on the products, but you also have the quad strobes, which is it blinks in four different quads and you can uh, change all of the areas, I guess, that is allowing the the glasses to see through. Um, But the reason why I want to bring that up is because all of these different tools, I think the tools are, have been established, but really it's how you're going to apply this to different populations, demographics, how we're going to utilize the information and data to make the significant changes or improvements that we want to see. And that's really a great, great philosophy, great approach when it comes to trying to get more people to just buy into vision training, like how you said in the beginning of the episode, because it, it is even for myself as a certified athletic trainer, before I saw your booth, vision training was something that we're aware of, but how many of us actually implement it in rehab with our athletes? It's a very low percentage to be completely honest, but with tools like this that make it a lot more easier to uh, get the athlete to buy in, utilize on a day-to-day basis. You know, we don't have to pull out that ancient light board, right? To set up all of that. All of these little things make a big difference when it comes to just the practicality and clinically being able to apply vision training to help each individual. So, I mean, that's a great message. Is there anything else that you wanted to elaborate on the future direction as well? I mean, those are the key pieces, right? For us is this idea of of trying to just get the systems out there and get the understanding going, right? As it's, it is, it's just a lot of people were focused. And I mean, I was in the military for a long time and vision is important for everything, but we never really focused on it at all. We never really considered it. Right? It was just, you just go out and you just do your job and you work. And if you get an eye exam that says you're 2020, great, you know, you're, you're good to go. You're at the top, you're at the top of the top. So go ahead and play. But the, but the idea is that there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more we can gain from it. So I think just being focused on that and just, and just remembering that there is opportunity to train differently and there's opportunities to train differently very easily at home as well. That again, like the Stroves is a very easy one to start incorporating and it's, it's not a highly expensive tool. You know, things like the, the quad strobe starts getting into a lot more options and things that you can do from a training perspective. So a lot of practitioners love those and start blending those in because you can really isolate areas of peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it is funny because because you said like as an athletic trainer, you didn't know, mm-hmm. right? you kind of knew about it, but you didn't know anything about it. I was at a, at a big conference of high level 
coaches and, and, and trainers, like uh, all Olympic level. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a researcher in there from Norway and, and he's, he's explaining and showing how the research of the best soccer players in the world showed that they had the best vision. He had all the data, all the research showing how it works, showing the fact that like when the ball's kicked to him, they don't have to watch the ball come to them. They're picking up in the peripheral and they're looking at the defenders at the same time and catching, you know, catching the pass with their foot and starting to move. And they never really look down at the ball on the entire track to their foot, right? Like they're picking up slices of the information and making it work through their peripheral. Mm-hmm. And that peripheral, you know, vision is, is critical. Mm-hmm. And then one of the coaches raises his hand. He's like, well, how do we train this? And then, yeah. and, and the, and the, re, the research is like, well, I'm not, you know, there isn't, I'm not sure exactly how there's some options out there, but you know, they're very simple. You have to go to this. I'm like, they're synaptic tools. You know, <laughs> nice. I raised my hand like, Hey, they're synaptic tool. That's exactly what these work on and they're accessible and everywhere. That's the idea is that again, lots of people understand it. Mm-hmm. They may be able to diagnose that there's problems. Now we're about how do you train those? And that's exactly what you guys do. And that's a great message to share to all of the listeners because, you know, these tools are very simple and I'll let you talk about it more, but you know, just the regular strobes, I think the price point is like $2.99. So it's not that expensive. I mean, for the amount of benefit that you're going to get, I can't stress that enough. It's like, it's like some glasses, you know, prescription glasses are going to be about that much with the frame and the lens, right? So with the benefit of this, it's kind of a no brainer to really help improve all the other aspects of training. Now on that note, I do want to touch on something else because this is probably the only situations that we can't use the strobe is if the person doesn't wear contacts and they have prescription glasses. What are some of your things that you have seen? I I mean, besides, okay, you should maybe look into getting contacts. What are some of the things that you can do to troubleshoot that situation? Yeah. So, I mean, if they can get a small enough pair of glasses to put underneath, because that obviously is going to help them be working in an environment that's more conducive to what they would normally do. And and yeah, the, we haven't built a system of strobes yet that can go over glasses mm-hmm. um, because, because again, they're more focused towards the high performer in the original world. And we're always working on how to develop that out. So a lot of times if they put them over the glasses, it does work, mm-hmm. but that's more static environments, right? Like it's not something where they're doing dynamic movements or things like that. So typically if people are doing those types of things, then they're usually having some type of contacts that they're wearing a lot of times, or they don't need to wear glasses while they're doing those activities and then they blend in. But um, otherwise, yeah, they, they're a little bit uncomfortable and there's a new framing on them now, which sits a little bit wider. So it should hopefully help with some individuals that have glasses. Um, so, so the new frame, uh, it's, it's, it's got like a little bit more width on the actual opening. So hopefully that'll work for now until we can figure some better options out. Yes. I'm sure you guys will figure out something that works, works well for all of the different scenarios as you guys have been very innovative to, to this date. And I really enjoyed doing, uh, using your products. The last thing that I wanted to share, just my personal experience, kind of talking about that researcher at that presentation and not anyone knowing how to intervene or effectively train some of these deficits. I think that's what your sensory station and the strobes do really well, because for me personally, and I've only used the sensory station, maybe like, three or four times. It's literally been at NATA. Obviously we played the games for quite a while during that week. But for me, Herb was telling me this, my colleague was telling me this, and I didn't realize it until I got assessed that my periphery in the lower left quadrant, I think, is very poor. So I was missing a lot of things back here. And that's something that I wouldn't even realize unless I did the assessment on the sensory station. Then when I came back, since we have the quads, when I put it in that lower left quadrant, just that uh, quadrant blinking, I'm very poor at doing certain things, hand-eye coordination. And my vision, again, it's not my acuity because my acuity is great, but it's just strengthening that area for whatever reason, the focus, my eyes just don't like to move down in that area. Um, But that's some of the interesting benefits, I think, that you guys have really brought to this world is without these resources, there's no way that I would have known that, okay, I need to focus on this area of my periphery. And we see that a lot with our athletes, maybe not with the thorough assessment, but when we start to, you know, change which quadrant is blinking, we get to see some of the deficits and then they start to, the gears start to turning. 
um, because we've had receivers too come in and it's like, yeah, I do have a hard time when I'm catching the ball up here, you know? And it's like, well, that makes sense because it's not saying that vision is hundred percent of the cause, but it might be a con- significant contributing factor. So those are some of the things just to touch the tip of the iceberg with how valuable these tools are. So when people think how much is a um, quadrant strobe glasses, uh, those are seven ninety nine. Yes. So, so those are a lot more. Those, those are a bit more expensive, but they're, and that's because of the all the segmenting and things that go with it. And 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 often it is a, a, a clinical tool. So your average person is not necessarily always purchasing those. But yes, I will advocate for you guys because even for seven ninety nine, if this is like a higher level athlete, right? A lot of times they have no problem investing in something like that if they start to see the benefit. Yes, for the lay person, you know, it, it might be a little bit steep, but for the athlete that's looking to train more effectively, these tools are actually still priced very reasonably for the amount of value again that you're getting from all of these tools. So that was just really a last bit story that I wanted to share with my experience and what we're kind of seeing, but that's why you have created all of these products is to fill that void again, to help people train at a accessible, reasonable price that really will bring all of this benefit to, you know, just performing better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's, uh, and, and it, we're always glad. We're always really happy when people tell us it's working and, you know, there's people like you coming to us and telling us that you've used them and that you're using them and that things are working. You're seeing results. Like that's, that's really what it's about. Cause we like to hear from the world, like, is this stuff working? Cause if it is, then we try to amplify it and keep it moving. If it's not, then, then we either figure out what's, what's wrong. Why isn't it working or, or we have to figure out, well, then there's something new we got to do instead. So that's the key. And, and everything we do is based on, some type of research that's been out there that's been done and we try to then take it and move it to the right place and and make it accessible and 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 make it work for the ecosystem and then and we just keep figuring out and looking at the current research that's coming out and seeing how it how it plays into how we're operating yes well thank you so much for sharing and taking the time i like that banner right behind you because it's a synaptic leaders in sensory performance i believe and that's exactly what you guys are doing is you guys are really leading the way in this this field that has been kind of neglected or, you know, there has been a lot of oversight for so long. So I really appreciate everything that you're doing, you know, keep up the great work. Please tell her, Brian, the rest of the team that we all say hi and we miss, you know, NATA this year because of COVID, but thank you again so much for coming on and sharing all of your experiences, your knowledge and everything. Any last words, Pete? No, thank you. This has been great, Andrew. I mean, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and it's been really fun talking with you and, Hopefully we'll get to work together in the future when I can start getting out to Hawaii again. Yes, anytime. 